Welcome back to The Human Exception. In this week's episode, Hallie tells us about the Moonville Tunnel, one of Ohio's most haunted landmarks, and Nathan tells us how private detectives came to be via the unbelievable life of Eugene Francois Viduct. As always, a warning of foul language ahead, along with a side serving of decapitations and murder. Fuck you, Craig. Fuck you, Craig. I guess I should probably stop eating cookies. Wow. <laughs> I, was, I was eating chips before this. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> All right. Is this is this official episode three that we're... Oh, God. Yes, this will recording? be... Uh, well, this will be... Um, <laughs> recording three. Might be episode <laughs> five or six. Five, yeah. <laughs> Split up. Right. Well, we'll have to see how long this our second quote episode is. <laughs> God, she's <laughs> she's just all up in there right now. And <laughs> Oh my god, she's gonna fall down. Oh she's my in a, gosh. She's yes. in a box. And oh I guess you can get this on camera. <laughs> <laughs> of course then she doesn't fall. Like every time that you want to like get a video of your cat doing something fucking stupid, either you don't get the camera ready in time or you get it ready and then they do nothing. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And then I just look at you like, what? I didn't do it. She stopped now, so hopefully that <sighs> will be better for life. <laughs> now that I've derailed the conversation. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, welcome back to The Human Exception. I'm your host, Kayla. And I'm Nathan. Hey, and I'm Hallie. We're here to tell you some more weird stuff. Spooky, yeah. spooky. <laughs> I don't know how spooky today's episode is. Mine is. No, not really. Mine could be story. if you really stretch it. <laughs> ah, everything weird has a spooky edge if you look hard enough. True facts. <laughs> oh, am I up first? Yeah, you are. Yeah. All right. So I lied to you two previously because I said I was going to do MUFON. That's a whole thing. <laughs> um, Starting this relation- relationship off strong I know, with you. I know. Right, right. So instead, I was like, let's do the Moonville Tunnel, which is in southeastern Ohio. Um, so it's about an hour and a half from where I live. So it's very backyard, like local, fun, interesting bit of history um, that I didn't know a whole lot about other than there's this abandoned railway tunnel in the middle of a tourist destination. That seems like a good little railway tunnel. (laughs) Yep. I mean, no wonder this thing is supposedly haunted. Holy shit. There's just a cemetery left. It's so dead that it's not even a ghost town. So dead. Yep. It's so dead that it's not even a ghost town. 
I wanted, where did my pictures go? So this is the tunnel. Oh, that's real cool. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Never had more than about 100 as a town. And it hit its peak around 1870. Like any solid tiny town, you had to have a saloon, of course. Heck yeah. <laughs> and it... Well, yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do? There's just a saloon and the railroad. So southeastern Ohio is still very heavily wooded. Um, it's also where you'll find places like Hocking Hills State Forest, which is super popular. It's beautiful down there. Uh, it's very remote considering how close it is to larger cities like Athens, with the, which is a university town. Um, but Moonville was in the middle of what's now known as Zaleski State Forest. Uh, and it, it, I mean, it's it's about as remote as you're going to get anymore. So it's it's full of um, this area is full of forests. There's uh, caves. There's waterfalls. All kinds of stuff. So when you get that remote, it's immediately like, ooh, spooky. We're here by ourselves. You can hike for miles and not run across anyone. And there's also no cell phones <laughs> signal down there. Even better. Even mm -hmm. better. Yep. So it's it's really not surprising that people are drawn to the Moonville Tunnel. Um, imagine, you know, being out in the deep, dark woods and then something like cracks or crunches nearby. Um, or as I wrote, our imaginations are built for such folly. So sure. Um, I'm that such was, a dweeb was... when I write. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was funny because I was reading over your notes for um, Shakespeare because I had to like, you know, fact check everything. Well, not fact check, like editorial check. And I was like, wow, this is like an actual like literary paper. And I'm just thinking back to you just saying, fuck this, fuck that. <laughs> 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 to be fair, the Shakespeare notes are a lot more copy and paste that I kind of rearranged. And then, you know, yeah. this I actually like wrote. But, you know, anyways. <laughs> so um, the, the first bit of kind of ghost stories that are associated with Moonville and the Moonville Tunnel um, have to do with a tragic death, because of course they do. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, of course. Tragedy and ghost stories, sure. Uh, we may even have a decapitation. Oh. Um, oh, yeah. So because you couldn't really get anywhere out of the woods without walking railroad tracks, a few people pretty much perished right there. This was an unsignaled track, and brakemen would be on the top of the train. <laughs> oh you can see God. where this is going. <laughs> Fuck. Yep. Not great. Um, so the first stories kind of started with uh, the, this uh, idea that the railway workers who died on the line, um, you know, fell to their deaths, which did happen, and that their souls could move on because they keep trying to help maintain a train that doesn't exist anymore. Um, so that kind of started. And then the town, over the course of several decades, through the late 1800s and into the 1900s, saw this demise. And it had to actually do with train traffic picking up, which you think it would be the opposite. You would think, oh, the line maybe died, and then the town died, and it was the... It was totally opposite of that. So the Moonville line was bought by Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. B&O Railroad. You know, like B&O Railroad from Monopoly. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. So uh, they incorporated that line into the longer line from St. Louis to Washington, D.C. 
So it became kind of a way station for these trains to switch tracks and take a slightly shorter route. But because the town was built around railway traffic, but it mostly employed miners, coal miners, when the coal mines started drying up, the town started drying up. And then the town... Yeah, the town eventually became abandoned, and the last family left Moonville in 1947. Wow. And then by the 60s, all the buildings were gone, either torn down or just fallen into disrepair. And there was nothing left other than what stands today, which is the tunnel and the town cemetery. But the line, the rail line, kept operating all the way to 1988. Just didn't stop there anymore? They just didn't stop there anymore. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Isn't it weird how, like, you know, there's always a cemetery that just hangs on to the very end? Like, it's like the last thing left in a ghost town almost always. Super creepy. Right? (laughs) Super creepy. It's no wonder we, our imaginations go wild. Like, it's just... Yeah, one day day in the future, people are going to be wandering through this area, and they're just going to find a cemetery overgrown with trees and wonder what the fuck. We have one right down the road from us. That a bunch of housing complexes were built up around. Awesome. It's bizarre. I'll take a picture for you guys someday. It's bizarre where the location is. It's like, what the shit? (laughs) Anyways, so um, even though the town had been shuttered by this point in the 1940s, um, railroad workers really started to help push the idea that the tracks were haunted. Um, because they would call the Moonville line the most lonesome, desolate eight miles or 13 kilometers of track between Parkersburg, West Virginia, and St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, that's a quote. It was completely isolated and dark, even during the day. And because it was unsignaled, it was an unsignaled line, which we'll get into in a minute, trains would show up without warning. And a signal wasn't put up until 1981, seven years before they shut the line down. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) okay, cool. Um, So the the line, I had to go and look this up because it was, I know nothing about trains. And uh, everything that I found had said that because it was unsignaled, the train traffic on this line was governed by train orders. And I was like, what's that? Um, so train orders, I know we're getting deep into something that no one wanted. Um, <laughs> is this, but I have to know now. <laughs> I have mm-hmm. to know. I know. Same. It's this mostly obsolete system that the train or the railroads of North America used to convey operating instructions. So this was before centralized traffic control, before anything like that, um, or before the use of... Uh, radios really to convey this information it was a set of rules where direct communication between train dispatchers and trains was limited or non-existent so basically what you would do is you would follow this predetermined operating plan Uh, it's when the trains had timetables and the only way to supersede these timetables was to get a dispatcher out to the train and convey those orders directly to the conductor. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not problematic. It'll yeah, totally that could fine. Fine. never have gone wrong. Never went wrong. It, <laughs> it never screwed up. I'm sure. It's just no one bizarre. ever died. No one ever died. Just bizarre, like, 
way to do it. It's basically like, yeah, okay, so your timetable says this. Don't screw up, and I guess we better hope we don't break down. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Unsignaled line. Deep in the woods. Brakemen on the tops of trains. A tiny town where the only way to get in and out really was to either wander through the woods or follow the railroad tracks. None of this ever went bad. Ever. All right. So, the ghost stories about brakemen and workers falling to their deaths, those were kind of rote. How boring. Let's talk about that ghost stories that people still believe are true. That people still pass along through word of mouth, even to this day. There are three uh, that came up consistently in my research. So the first one's a little bit easier. It's the break that he's known as the break man. Um, so the story goes that late one night in the 1880s, there was a drunken brakeman who was walking the Moonville Tunnel after a night of playing cards in the local saloon. A train approached, and the brakeman swung his lantern in an attempt to stop the train, uh, which is how you would normally do it if you weren't drunk, um, <laughs> or walking railroad tracks in the middle of the night. Um, he was then reportedly struck and killed by the train, which decapitated him. Right. And, yep, there's the decapitation. Uh, and it is said that his ghost walks that final path before his demise, and he swings his lantern frantically for tourists to see on dark nights. Amazing. So, he's the most uh, reported seen ghost. In and around the Moonville Tunnel, like, the, the, the tale kind of is if you stand at one end of the tunnel late at night um, with no lights on, because it is one of the few places also, really, where there's no light pollution. So it gets real dark. And if you wait on the right night, you will see the brake man swinging his lantern around trying to stop the train that killed him. After you've walked down the tracks to get there? Totally. Yep. <laughs> Great. Cool. Fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. fine. <laughs> so what you're saying is we just need to like set up camp. Near there. Or or and, in the tunnel, obviously. And people do. <laughs> like oh, but how do people get there now? Is are there access roads now? Uh you have to hike to get there. So just so, so how long path, of a hike is it? It's several miles to get to the tunnel, and then um, and then it's just you and the tunnel in the woods. Several miles. How long? How long would that take to walk? Let me double check what that actually said. If you said in I kilometers, think... I wouldn't have figured it out either. Oh, <laughs> well, that's fair. Um, I'm not entirely sure because the when I was looking at the maps, it was like okay, park here, and then you hike. I think it might have said five or six miles. To, I'll have to pull that back up. Um, where did that go? Because I went to the park's website. Um, here we go. Ohio DNR. So it is... Yeah, it's like in the middle of fucking nothing. Okay, so you can... The closest you can get is if you park near the old rail bed and then you cross Raccoon Creek to pick up the trail. That's the most direct path. Um, and it's about 100 yards out from there. But if you're just hiking in the state forest, 
it's several miles from one of the trailheads. Damn, so you gotta be dedicated to see a, see your ghost then. <laughs> and camp out there? Uh-huh. 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 There's uh-huh. nothing in that, you know, desolate wilderness. Oh. <laughs> nope. No thanks. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, they are putting trails in to lead you more directly to the tunnel. They're working on 26 plus miles of walking and biking trails. That's cool. So they they're really working want people on to see it. Those ghosts. They totally want us to see the ghosts. Yep. <laughs> it's just so isolated down there. It really is a kind of creepy. You know, like I've hiked down in that area. It's it's a little spooky. Have you um, been to the tunnel? I have not been to the tunnel. I have been near Zaleski because Zaleski State Forest and Hawking Hills abut each other. Um, you can hike for. We have friends who hike for days down there. Wow, crazy! That's how vast it is. Yeah. So, um, so the Breakman, um, the second most commonly spotted ghost is known as the Lavender Lady. And it really depends on who's telling the story and who they heard it from. Um, But there's two main theories about the Lavender Lady. She is either a young woman who was walking home on the tracks after seeing her illicit lover. Or she's an elderly woman who crossed the tracks and fell. Or (laughs) she's one of several other women who were killed near or on the tracks close to the tunnel. Um, She often takes the form of a headless ghost in a long dress, searching for her head. And others report the scent of lavender on the air right before and after her appearance. Are we sure this is not the same guy? (laughs) Just changing his outfit? (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) You know, the drag brakeman... I was thinking that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Uh, Hey, well, it's true. (laughs) All all ghosts can drag. It's fine. Um, And as a skeptic, I'm instantly like, "This is awesome!" But at the same time, I don't believe in ghosts. (laughs) Okay, sure. Um, Not yet. You don't. Nope. Still don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the last ghost is known as the bully. And this has probably the most direct information tied to it. Um, This is widely accepted to be the ghost of Baldy Keaton, who lived in Moonville and was a notorious alcoholic. And he got drunk one night, not shocking, and supposedly really enjoyed a good fist fight when he was raging drunk. And he uh, decided that one night he was going to pull one of his signature moves on the guy he was facing off with, which was to basically get behind the guy and bear hug him until he passed out. (laughs) So, yep, this is happening. Um, So on this particular night, the night of his death, he started a fight in the saloon and he got kicked out. And then on his way home, staggering home drunk, he walked over the tunnel and a group of men jumped him. Uh, taking out revenge for supposedly beating up their friend. They killed him and then tossed his body over the side of the tunnel. His body landed on the tracks, and when he was found the next morning, it was clear he had been hit by several trains during the night. Ooh. Yeah, a little brutal. 
That's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, no one was actually ever convicted for his death. And legend now says that he stands above the tunnel and stares at approaching visitors, occasionally taunting them by throwing small pebbles. <laughs> what a badass. <laughs> yeah. Um, and no, it was like, also... No open casket, right? Oh, God. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Oh, that's nasty. That's nasty. Oh, God. Um, it, it was also a common story to for mothers to tell their children... They grew up learning the ghost story of Baldy being told that the bully would come for them if they misbehaved. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amazing. Parents of no chill. They're just like... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. Okay, so I'm going to bring it down, and then we'll go up again. Um, so, the probably... Uh, now, granted, we've had a decapitation, a woman who maybe lost her head also, and then a dude who got beaten up and then his body was dropped on the tracks. Um, but there's also a widely circulated story about um, a ghost that's more recent because supposedly, and I say supposedly because there's no official record of this, um, the most recent death was reportedly in 1986 when a 10-year-old girl was struck by a locomotive on the trestle directly in front of the tunnel. Oh. Yeah. The railroad was shut down by then, right? No. One year before. Oh. Uh-huh. And kids would go down there and goof around. Because they just like, oh, well, no trains come through here. Well, a train would come through every now and then. But because it was still, it was still, a, it was a signaled line by that point. But this is where the story kind of falls apart. Because there's no official death. There's no record of the death. And the National Transportation Safety Board doesn't show any rail or pedestrian deaths in Vinton County, which is where this tunnel is located during that year. So I don't know if this is just a tall tale, but it can't be uh, it, it can't be cross referenced with anything official. Or it's a government cover up. Or it's a giant conspiracy. Giant conspiracy. It's just a kid. The government doesn't care. <laughs> this is true, sadly. <laughs> Woof. Sadly. Sadly, yeah. Uh, all right, so... A um, okay. A little, little too much. A little too much. So the, uh, the tunnel and its ghosts have been incorporated into some little interesting bits of, like, niche modern culture. They've gone on to inspire a bluegrass song, an orchestral piece, and a fictional horror story. I have the song The Moonville Breakman for you oh that you can gosh. listen to when uh, you are ready. So I have that link for you. Here you go. You can listen, peruse that on your own. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, uh, there's a bluegrass song by the band The Rarely Heard, which is the link I just gave you both. And then uh, orchestral composer Scott uh, Michael wrote The Ghost of Moonville Tunnel, for his orchestra, and then in 2009, author William M. Cullen wrote the book An Incident at Moonville, The Conductor's Revenge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know you yep. really made it when there's a song about you. Right? Good. It's good. So my last little bit on, on this interesting little bit of uh, folklore is that several ghost hunting groups have, of course, gone down there and trying to... Yeah, trying to verify, you know, all the stories. 
the notable one is the OES. It's the Ohio Exploration Society, and they've been to Moonville several times. Their last reported attempt to locate one or several of the ghosts in the area was in 2010. Um, so I, I went and looked at their website, and they have a log of everything they do. And there's uh, so from their website, they went out on October 9th, 2010, and they reported seeing as the sunset that there were multiple groups of people cycling in and out of the tunnel on a regular basis. Some people had even built a campfire in the east end of the tunnel. And I love this quote, with all of the activity from the living, we did not have high hopes of witnessing anything out of the ordinary. We were wrong. (laughs) So I'll keep going again. I'm reading directly from their website. So it says, we decided to walk about 100 yards down the track bed from the east end of the tunnel. While standing there recording for EVP, Four out of five people present witnessed a small, bright blue ball fading in and out of the ridge above and to the north of Moonville Tunnel. We thought perhaps it could be starlight being occasionally blocked by tree branches. However, two OES members witnessed the light smoothly move south about 10 to 15 feet, stop and disappear. A few minutes later, another member saw the light move to the north about 10 to 15 feet in the same manner. Four of our members witnessed the light come slightly further down the hill, blinking in and out. We do not believe the light was a flashlight since there was no beam cast from it. It would be almost impossible for a person to walk the area as quickly and smoothly as the light moved due to the thick foliage and uneven terrain. And we were recording video during this time, but unable to capture the light on video, EVP recordings done during this trip netted the Oh, God, recording below. Here's your link. (laughs) So there's a recording. There's several recordings that they did that night. And it's just like any ghost recording. You're like, the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) But you can listen to it for yourself. Um, It'll be in the show notes, too. But it's really interesting. (laughs) So to kind of wrap up. Um, with Southern Ohio, it, it's so close to the end of the Appalachian Mountains. It's so isolated. Um, there's tons of ghost stories from all different areas down there. There's a uh, place roughly 35 miles away from the Moonville Tunnel. It's a lake known as the Death Hole. Mm-hmm. Um, Old Man's Cave, which is argu- arguably the most famous landmi- landmark in nearby Hawking Hills Forest. And I've been there. It's really beautiful. Um, has been the site of many deaths, and unfortunately, one was very recent. It was last year, in 2019, when two teenagers rolled a 75-pound log down a hill. Um, The log struck and killed a photographer who was taking high school senior portraits there. Her name was Victoria Schaefer. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, this just happened. And the boys have been sentenced to three years in juvenile detention after they pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter. So, there's a lot of bad juju down in that area, Um, and it is just hard to figure out where a lot of these legends come from, because, like, with Moonville, this stuff happened back in the 1800s, and it's been so twisted and told and retold over and over again. Don't know, but apparently we have a couple of headless ghosts wandering around down there. (laughs) All right, well, that's cool. That's pretty sweet. Little ooky spooky ghost story for you. <laughs> See, now you have to go. I have been close. 
I bet my friends have been there. I would bet <laughs> you anything they've been there. They go hiking all the time. I should ask them. So do we bring them on the show then? <laughs> well, uh, one is also... One is also an amateur Bigfoot expert, so... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, well, they're going to come on the show anyways. Yes. <laughs> I might have to. <laughs> Let me just go text Kent real fast. <laughs> like, hey, buddy. He's going to have a whole episode on Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was planning on, like, when we did that, pulling him in anyways. Just be like, okay, where do I go? What do I look up? <laughs> but, like, I am so not in, like, believing in Bigfoot at all. So I'd be very fascinated to hear what other people Oh, yeah, are. absolutely. All right, Nathan. All right. So this this topic ended up taking a bit of a, a bit of an interesting turn. Um I was originally going to sort of focus on like private investigators as a whole. Um, but then as I started kind of going down the rabbit hole a little bit, uh, I realized that the person who essentially like birthed the private investigator like occupation just had like such a weird and like wild life that I was like fuck it I'm gonna just focus on this one dude and we will kind of lead into you know how he sort of built all of this shit up and you know how it actually because a lot of what he did impacts current policing today as well as, um, you know, uh, like fictional literature of our time and, and in the past. So he, he sort of built this whole thing um, through his weird and wild lifestyle. Um, so for context, obviously, for everyone, uh, the reason why I actually stumbled upon this was because I was trying to find a name for her Call of Cthulhu campaign, um, uh, one shot that Hallie was gonna was doing for us, um, and I came across this gentleman by the name of Eugene Francois Vidoc, a French fellow born in 1775 uh, in, I believe it is pronounced Eris, uh, France. Now. Eugene or Vidoc, as he was known to known as by his friends, was born into like a rich family. Um, his family were corn farmers. They had quite a bit of money for the time. And, you know, as much as everyone else was sort of not so well off, um, his family was doing pretty good. Um, as a rich kid, he was a bit of an asshole. Like, he, within his first 20 years of life, he went to prison a couple of times. <laughs> like, uh... Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, more than rich kids get now, so... Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's funny, because, so his, uh, 
his father had a shop that him and his two older brothers ran for him, basically. Uh, and over the over time, uh, Vidoc was like, well, eh, I mean, I kind of want some of my own money, so how is the best way to get money? I'm just going to steal from my parents' shop right out of the till. Yeah, no big deal, right? Well, eventually he was caught. <laughs> um, and his dad started locking the till. Uh, so the kids weren't allowed to deal with money after this. Um, so uh, he decided, well, shit, if dad's not going to let me into the till, I'm going to start stealing shit from home and hawking them on the street. So at 13, he stole his parents' silver plates and sold them off and then spent all of the money that he got from them within the same day. Um, <laughs> so three days after the theft, he was arrested and sent uh, he was arrested and his dad was like nope take him to jail for two weeks maybe that'll scare the shit out of him <laughs> so he spent two weeks um in jail because his dad thought it would teach him or teach him a lesson but it didn't do anything <laughs> so a year later he ends up stealing a a big chunk of change from his parents' cash box at the bakery that they were running. Uh, and he left for Ostend and tried to hitch a ship to the Americas. Um, but someone got the better of him, Nat got all of his money, and he was stuck in France. He's like, well, shit. Uh, so eventually he joined a fucking circus. Oh my um, god! So, okay, so here's the... And I and I forgot to preface a lot of this, is that there's not a lot as known about... about his... Um, about his childhood. But... Uh, a lot of this is, is taken from his memoirs. And... He was known to exaggerate a bit, so we're not sure what is real and what is not when it comes to the first 20 years of his life. Um, but still, like, that's... It, his, his delinquency and his stealing from his parents, I can believe. Um, and who knows? Maybe he did join a traveling circus, but like... The stories have to come from somewhere. Everyone yeah, runs away from the circus. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he, uh, so yeah, he he basically um, worked for a traveling circus for a while, and he was mainly just like a a stable boy for the first little while, um, who worked as as hard as he could to just kind of stick around. According to him, he was he wasn't treated obviously very well. Uh, he received regular beatings, but despite that, he was eventually promoted to from stable boy to playing a Caribbean cannibal um, within the circus. 
that's quite a promotion. That is quite the promotion. Uh, but they were forcing him to eat real raw meat during the show. Gross. Gross. Um, no. Right? Yeah. So he was like, after a while, he's like, no, 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 I can't do this. Like, mm-mm. Uh, so he tried to switch to being a puppeteer, where very quickly he lost that job because he uh, was both flirting with the owner's wife and was caught um, making out with her behind the curtain during the puppet show. Uh, wow. So <laughs> eventually uh, he left the circus and went back home. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so by the time he was like this, this all happened with a span in the span of a couple of years. Uh, so he had eventually come back home, and then in seven uh, seventeen ninety one, he enlisted in the Bourbon Regiment of the uh, of the Army. Um, uh, according to him, uh, he was a expert fencer, and within six months of his being part of this, uh he challenged 15 people to a duel and killed two of them. Oh my god. Uh, like at once or 15 individual duels? Over over six months. 15 okay. individual duels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But over the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? Kind of going back to the... to his more uh, lazy days you know being like ah you know what i could do the work but i'd rather just steal the money um he was apparently not a model soldier and he caused plenty of difficulties uh but despite all of this he only spent 14 days days in jail for all of the problems that he caused while he was in the army apparently he also helped a fellow inmate escape successfully while he was in there now, in in ninety two, uh, France had declared war on Austria, uh, so he was actually part of uh, some of the battles in the first coalition, including the Battle of Valmy uh, in September of ninety two, and uh, as such, he was promoted to uh, corporal of the Grenadiers. <laughs> but during his promotion he challenged a non-commissioned officer to a duel. Uh, the sergeant major refused the duel, so Vidoc hit him. Um, and striking <laughs> his superior officer uh, was cause for death. Um, so before he was put in jail, he deserted and then enlisted in another um part of the army under a different name and then fought in the battle of Jemeps. <laughs> so like I don't like you I'm deserting but I still want to be part of the military so I'm going to sign up under a different name over here um, where you don't know me 
Yeah, I've got questions. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. You got out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. What did you do? Why did you go back in? What? Uh. <laughs> uh, so six months later, in April, he was identified as a deserter from his previous uh, camp. I, I guess, like, there was a... Uh, one of the generals that was part of his group was fleeing, so the two of them sort of just pieced out. <laughs> um, and then he decided, he was like, the hell with this. Uh, I'm out. I'm out of the army. Goodbye. See you later. Done. And then he just went back home. <laughs> I just keep thinking that the story is going to circle around to private investigation. I'm like, how are we going to get here? It, it, we're, we're, uh, we're coming up to that. <laughs> um, so all of this shit, like all of these things that he's done, he's more or less gotten away with. Like he's, um, he went home, uh, he ran away from home, became an entertainer, left, went to the army. Yeah, I don't like this guy. Hop over to a different area. Oh, I was caught. Gonna go home. Uh, so, uh, apparently, when he was 18, he ended up back home. Uh, and gained a reputation as a womanizer. You know what? I see it. <laughs> Wait, like, uh, how long of a period of time was that? Was that, like, four years or something? His time in the army? Well, yeah, like, from the... So yeah, I mean, that, that he, period of thing you just told us. The, went, draining the circus. <laughs> so the circus was uh, when he was 14 years old. Uh, do, 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 do. So 79. 79. No, that would make him four. Uh, 98, probably. 1798. 89. 1789. I'm getting my numbers mixed up. So 1789 to 1790 is where he would have joined the circus. Um, okay. So like he like. In 91, he was in the, in the army from 91 to 93. Okay, so fourteen we joined the circus and then he got home at eighteen. Yeah. Uh after going to the to the army. So uh he was eighteen years old when he returned home after after the army, after the circus. Um a lot of his uh supposed seductions often ended in duels. Um and then he was imprisoned again uh from January 9th to January 21st, so 49, uh, sorry, 94 to 95. I just, like, this guy lived. <laughs> yeah, this, he's not even fucking 20 yet. Killing me. <laughs> I've not uh, done enough with my life. <laughs> right? Jeez. Okay, so this is the real fun part right here. Uh, when he was barely 19, on August 8th, he married a woman after a pregnancy scare. Mm. But this isn't 1794 when he's supposed to be in jail. Well, hmm. So 
Well, he may not be very bright and know how pregnancy works. <laughs> well, no. Okay, so like... I don't know. Maybe maybe they... Maybe conjugal visits were a thing? Um... Oh my god, this is I don't great. know. Anyway, no no kid came out of it. Uh so but he did find out that his wife had cheated on him. Um and then he left for the army again. Oh. Okay. <laughs> this guy really likes the army. Yeah. I guess I, he just I, likes dueling people. <laughs> well, and I also think like maybe it's a way for him to kind of get out of trouble a little bit, like but it doesn't seem like that's exactly what he had been. It doesn't. It doesn't make much sense to me. He did, however, make it back into the army. He he supported himself, um, by committing small frauds. Uh, and then he was eventually apprehended by the police as a deserter. He had no valid papers, so he couldn't even like say, "Well, this is who I am." Uh, so when they asked him for who he who he was, he described himself as Monsieur Rousseau from Lille, and he escaped while they were trying to confirm his statement. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> um. And then in '95, still under that same name, he joined the army again. Um, consisting of officers who had no commission, no regiments. They were basically just like. Uh, raiders who dealt with like foraging routes they didn't have ranks or anything like like they stayed away from the battlefields basically um and so he ba he became a lieutenant and then a captain by the looks of it it's a self who was self-promoted to captain which doesn't make any sense to me how does that fucking work <laughs> no idea self-promoted oh my god this is amazing i'm the only person left yeah. in my battalion i'm the boss <laughs> now <laughs> yep so uh after his short stint there uh he sort of he moved on Ooh. sorry i should tell you guys this part because this is great um oh no, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> as his fake uh in this fake role that he created for himself he met a rich widow in brussels um, who he seduced. One of Vidoc's friends convinced her that he was a young nobleman on the run because of the French Revolution. Before tying the knot, they were going to get married. Vidoc was like, no, 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 you know what? I can't do this. I'm going to confess. I have to go. See you later. I'm really sorry. Uh, but she was, a, she loved him enough that she was like, okay, but it's all good. Here's a bunch of cash to take care of yourself. So in the end, he didn't really get in on her whole uh, her whole cash pot, but she was like, it's totally okay. Here, have a bunch of money. Go be safe. Um, and then he eventually moved over to Paris uh, where he basically just spent all that money on women. Um, <laughs> eventually, he went back up north uh, and joined a group of Bohemian Romani. Uh, and then he eventually left them because he had fallen in love with a woman. And then she left him for a re real soldier. And because of this, he got angry, beat the shit out of both of them. And then 
was sentenced to prison for three months because the soldier sued him. What? Yep. Dude. <laughs> yeah. Maybe give up. Just don't. <laughs> 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 right. <sighs> Eventually, though, these two um, got back together, I think. Oh, God. Because there's one part he had escaped from jail multiple times and was caught and brought back in and caught brought back in. Oh my god. Um, one of the escapes he uh, he was so this woman Francine helped him escape multiple times. Um, however on one of his escapes she caught him with another woman and so she ratted on him and he got taken back in wow <laughs> yeah i'm gonna help you escape but hold up this is brilliant You're on me you get back in there um now this is this is where everything sort of gets interesting you mean it wasn't interesting before <laughs> you're right no. this is where things sort of get back on track with our whole situation while he was doing that stint in prison uh, there were a couple other guys. Uh, I guess, uh, sorry, I guess there's something that I did miss. When you go into prison and you were at one point part of the army, if you were a military officer or part of, or any part of the military, you get your own cell. You are not. What? what? Even as deserters? Even as deserters. Yep. But what the actual fuck? Right? Ah. So, um,. Vidoc was like, oh, I've already been in so much trouble. Don't want to do this thing. Um, but uh, these other guys were trying to get out, trying to make an escape. Well, what they had done is they had said, hey, we need your help. We just need uh, we need to just come into your cell for a bit during visit, like during open times. We need to write something off and we'll be fine. Well, what they were trying to do was forge a document to get themselves out. Oh my God. Because they had done it in his cell and the officers had seen that they were writing something in his cell, he was convicted of forgery and helping these folks escape. So that extended his, uh, his sentence to eight years hard labor. Yeah, he totally wasn't helping. He was just letting them hang out in his cell. Wow. I mean, as far as he says, he was like, no, I don't really want anything to do with that, but like, fucking whatever. <laughs> uh, he he ends up going to the prison of Bicetra, I think, because it, it's sort of like a halfway, uh, a halfway prison because they tra they transfer people to people uh sorry transfer people to the prison in Brest um basically for their hard labor. Uh he was there for a couple of months and while he was there someone taught him uh the martial art of Savat uh which apparently became very useful to him. However, again, he escaped. <laughs> I I have yeah. so many questions. <laughs> He managed to escape in 1798 
dressed as a sailor <laughs> from from Brest. And then he was apprehended because he didn't have papers. Oh my god. Uh, but the police didn't recognize him. Uh, so he claimed that he was August Duval. And while people while they were checking his claim, he was put into a prison hospital. Uh, there, he stole a nun's habit and escaped in disguise. Oh my god. What? This is amazing. Right? Uh, so eventually he found a job as a <laughs> as a cattle driver, managed to pass through Paris, Paris, Brussels, answer, uh, and then into Rotterdam, <laughs> where uh, he was shanghaied by the Dutch, and then shortly after that he had a, a career as a privateer, and then he eventually got arrested and was identified as who he was. And then he went back to that same prison that he escaped from. Yeah. So <laughs> that God. was in that was in seventeen ninety nine that he was sent back to that oh, jail. God. Another six months later, he escapes again after failing to escape within that six months. Um Oh my god. Wait, how old is he now? Uh he would be twenty five. Jeez. Uh so with the help of a prostitute in March of 1800, he manages to escape, and he heads back home to Eris, where he finds out that his dad has died a year before. So he hides out in his mom's home for half a year before someone recognizes him, and he had wow. to run off. I just, like, whoa. <laughs> right? Whoa. Yeah. All of this time, like, he's basically been on the run. Uh, he moved around a bunch, built up a reputation as a business person. And then eventually, like, he felt secure enough that he was like, okay, mom, you can come live with me. I think we're good. But eventually, his past caught up with him again. He was arrested and brought into the Louvre. What? Uh, the Louvre? Um, like, the same as... The Louvre, the Louvre. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Was the Louvre a prison before it was a museum? No. Well, no. I think it was a. Uh, if I recall, do, 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 do. Mm. it's a very good question. Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. The town of Louvre. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, he had learned that he had been sentenced to death in absentia. Uh, basically, they thought he was dead because he just basically didn't exist anywhere. Um, so he didn't exist. With the help of a local prosecutor, he filed an appeal, spent five months in prison. There was no like decision regarding his sentence that was made. So he just ran away again. He just escaped. He spent a bunch of time in Paris and he worked on his memoirs. Just sort of put out the book, hung out in Paris, uh, tried to become a legitimate merchant. And then he was blackmailed by his former wife uh, for a bunch of money. 
and then you know he was blackmailed and forced to fence uh, stolen goods for other convicts that knew of him in the area. So because of all of this shit that was happening, like by this time he's numbers 30 years old and all of this junk has been happening to him. Uh, by the time he was 34, he was like, you know what? He, he gets arrested again on his like a few days before his 34th birthday. And he's like, fuck this. I'm out. I'm done. And he sort of escapes to kind of the fringes of society, places where people aren't really going to f- find him. But then he offers his services as an informant to the police. And the police were like, yeah, if you want to be an informant, let's do this. So once again, he was sent to prison, only this time as a spy. So after 21 months, he was let out. And to not raise suspicion as to what he was really doing there, it was made to look like another escape. So he was a spy for the police. So he was let out, but he wasn't really free. So essentially what he'd done, all these people that he'd met over his criminal past, he started using them. Now, this is where things start to get really interesting because, I mean, not that they obviously haven't been. This guy's life is a fucking buck wild mess of shin. He informally, basically a security group uh, brigade were just a bunch of people, cops. And within a year, the police force was like, these guys are really good. And there was a huge benefit to having these folks under the police force. Uh, And then another year later, Napoleon Bonaparte signed a decree that said, you guys are your own police force. Eventually, like he had done uh, all of he, all of his work or lack thereof uh, as a criminal led up to, this was essentially one of the very first, if not the first plainclothes detective departments in the world there in France, which is really cool when you think of all of the things he's done and all of the trouble that he's made makes sense by the time 1823 rolls around he had 20 employees um a year later he had 28 and there were eight people working secretly for him but instead of getting a salary they were given licenses for gambling halls so yeah you know what you can run a run a gambling business it's totally okay that's gonna be your salary one of the things that vidoc was really really passionate about was rehabilitating criminals um, or ex-criminals like himself. So what he did was art. He would hire them on. Um, and in a way, being able to use their old connection to sort of steer them towards kind of a better path. Uh, he, he eventually sort of built this, this empire, people how to like select the correct disguise. He went hunting for criminals on his own. He wasn't the type to just sit behind a desk. There are plenty of stories about him going out busting folks pretending to be a beggar or an old man or whatever. Uh, Even at one point, apparently, he faked his death. Eventually, though, uh, he resigned from the from the commission. This was all in part kind of like they uh, they had a new him and that chief weren't really jiving. And the guy was like, when Vidoc fought back, it didn't really matter. Um. It was more of a, I don't really like you, I'm just going to say things. Now, in 1833, sorry, in 1830, um, after sort of dispensing with the uh, the police situation, uh, he tried again to be an entrepreneur, 
just kind of like a regular plainclothes dude running a paper factory. However, he ended up running into some issues with a local group who didn't appreciate him hiring uh, previous convicts uh, and didn't really want to pay, pay his prices. There were some rumors that went about, went around about him and eventually he went bankrupt because people didn't want to deal with him anymore. Uh, obviously because his reputation was being ground into the dirt by said person. So after his money was gone, he eventually started up what was considered to be the very first detective agency ever and private police force. Uh, 1833, called the Office of Information. And he predominantly, again, hired ex-convicts. <laughs> now now we're at where we were intending to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting because, like, obviously being, uh, like, we we have a lot of literature that sort of romanticizes, like, the detective agencies and the private eyes and stuff. But... When he started this, the police were like, fuck no. We do not want this guy in our territory. We don't want him doing anything that that is going to step on step on our toes, obviously. Like, we're obviously doing the best work, so why does he need to be there? Um, so he was always, always quarreling with the official police. Um, eventually, uh, in... November of 1837, uh, the police executed a search and seizure and confiscated 3,500 files and documents from him. And then a couple days later, again, he was arrested and he spent his Christmas and New Year's in jail. Uh, he was charged with three crimes, um, namely the acquisition of money by deception, corruption of civil servants, and the pretension of public functions. All of this was dismissed in February of 38 after a bunch of witnesses had testified and the judge was like, I'm not, I'm not seeing an issue. You're free to go. So after this, after all of this work that he's been doing for these five years, he starts showing up in, in literature and people start like framing things about him and about the work that he's doing as a as a private eye, as a private detective. So what's very cool about him in general is uh, Edgar Allan Poe, who was considered to have the first fictional uh, detective, August Dupin, that uh, basically uh, Vidoc was the frame and the basis for what he believed a private eye to be. And taking it one step further... We have Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, who was then framed off of Poe's August Dupin. So, essentially, when it comes to all of, you know, private eyes and literature, Vidoc was also the birth of that, which is kind of an interesting legacy to have. Now, when it comes to... When it comes to this whole this whole thing, Vidoc never stopped making enemies, obviously. Uh, so in 1842, 75 police officers stormed his office building and arrested him and one of his agents. Apparently, he 
uh, made an illegal request, uh, illegal arrest, and demanded a bill of exchange for the embezzlement of money from the arrested fraudster. So Vidoc, being sixty-seven years old, was in prison for a couple of months, and and this all kind of comes down to again, like they don't really know, you know, what can a private investigator do what they can they not do um and obviously the tensions between them also there was a little bit of like weird back-end money lending that was happening um apparently through the uh private investigator's office so that might have angered some people so all of that got out and eventually his work that he was doing and he was very successful as a private investigator but because of this uh because people were like oh well now he's tainted he's doing back alley business with money and and so on he started losing a lot of business so he eventually had to shut down the practice and after that he was like okay well i'm out i'm completely out i'm not doing anything forever to anyone i'm gonna retire but you know i'll take a i'll take a private job here or there where it's just for one person and they just need some work, whether it's, you know, they need to find out if their wife's cheating on them or their husband's cheating on them or someone's stealing from me. Um, but no, like, big, big shit, right? So he he retires and uh, passes away at the age of 81. He had a huge fucking life, and he did a whole ton of shit that was really interesting. That is sort of the end of of that in the sense of this is where private eyes came from, private investigators. Uh, now, the cool thing about that is um, he has a couple of things to his name that are really interesting uh, when it comes to, like, his legacy within criminology. Because he's considered to a lot of people to be, like, quote, quote, the father of modern criminology. Um, he was the first to deal with uh, undercover work, uh, the first person to examine ballistics, to deal in criminology in general, to the first person to keep to have a record keeping system, um, to like criminal investigations. Uh, he was the first person to do plaster casts for impressions of shoe prints. Uh, he created indelible ink, uh, and with his printing company he created unalterable bond paper. And to this day, uh, anthropometrics are still partially used by the French police. So he, he had a lot of, a lot of impact on like what the current state of policing looks like, uh, in France and now across the world. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> like, to go from fuck up to <laughs> well my question is though like well was he still like not a fuck up though in the end like was he was he even a good guy in the end oh that's true oh i don't think he was i don't think he was a good guy <laughs> at all i just think he accomplished a lot right like <laughs> he but but he was also like apparently he had a lot of like philanthropic pursuits um so he had a, uh, he claimed to never inform on anyone who had stolen out of like a real need. So if they were 
down and out. And like they weren't getting any help from local authorities or whatever was set up to help people at the time. He was like, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not informing on them. But like, so he had a code, but it doesn't necessarily he me, means he was a good person. Uh, but he did a lot of really positive things in the scope of the work that he was doing. But from that perspective, though, is that from his perspective or from other people? That's from other people. So okay, yeah, because like, like yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna take down the guy who steals something because he needs it. Well, who do you determine needs it? <laughs> and right, yeah, yeah, and that's fair. Um, it, but in in the in the essence of like what he offered to um, criminology and and their work and the overall idea of like evidence and police work and, and stuff like that. Like he offered a lot of stuff that people didn't have back then. Right. Like it was a lot of it was hearsay and mm-hmm. well, it just sounds like you're a bad person based on whatever, but there's no <laughs> other evidence. So you're going to go to fucking jail. Um, or, you know what? Oh, this person seems like a really nice person. And I like, like the little, you know, wink that they give me every once in a while but we don't have any other evidence. So you're free, right? Like it, uh... <laughs> leave it to a right. criminal to develop an actual system. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so damn. yeah, that was, a uh, that was a wild ride of like, I didn't expect to dive into that and be like, what the fuck is happening right now? Right. <laughs> <laughs> From like rich, shitty, spoiled kid to, yep. I mean, old, retired, shitty dude who managed to like help things. I don't know. And that's it for this week's episode. Next week, I'll be talking about the Tunguska event, the biggest earth impact in recorded history that somehow only killed three people and a couple hundred reindeer. Thanks again for listening. Rate and subscribe. That really helps us out a ton. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter or Facebook at The Human Exception. All resources and additional information on these topics, including all pictures and links mentioned in this episode, can be found at our website, thehumanexception.com. And that's all for now. Keep being exceptional, my humans. Bye.